0: I am so thankful for you guys. You are doing an amazing job with the Giving Tree. It really is going to make a huge difference. Um, I've had a couple of folks come in and wonder. uh, You can bring the gift in uh, any of the Sundays. It needs to be here, wrapped and labeled. Uh, uh, Two weeks from today, on the 16th of December, needs to be here by then, but when you come in, you can just place it right under the tree, and then uh, that following Monday on the 17th, we're going to pack them all in a vehicle and take them up to Meridian House and then uh, share them uh, with the residents there. It's just going to really, really make a big difference in some people's lives, and you get to be Jesus to somebody. You really do. It, it makes a big difference. So I'm, I'm grateful for what you're doing. I'd like to introduce two people to you, <clears throat> uh, uh, Brian Farrell and Jay Golden. If you two would stand, you two men would stand please, just for a little bit. Uh, Brian's over here, uh, uh, just to my right, and Jay is in the back right there. These are two men that our current elders have selected to be new elders this coming year, and um, both of them are great, great men. They're just good, good guys. They've been with us for quite some time. So uh, during this month of December, if you have any questions about that process, guys, you can have a seat, please. If you have any questions about that uh, that process, uh, Matt uh, Lyndon is over here, one of our current elders. Matt, if you would stay and uh, Stan is over here. Stan's right here. And where's John? Uh, No, no dancing. Um, No, seriously, no dancing. uh, these three men are our current elders. Michael Bailey's also an elder. He's not here with us today. But if you have any questions during the month of December, you can ask these guys or myself uh, about the process or about Jay or about uh, Brian or you can ask them yourselves. You go ahead and have a seat, guys. And then uh, uh, the first Sunday in January, we'll have a, just a short ceremony during the service to affirm these men and, and make that work. Just wanted to let you guys know about that. Okay? For the last two weeks, we've been talking about our if-only moments those if-only moments are those moments that <clears throat> we'd, we'd, we'd rather forget. Um, if only I would have taken the opportunity to uh, uh, take advantage of that job. If only I wouldn't have spent that money, money. If only I wouldn't have gone on that date or would have gone on that date. Those those kinds of if-only moments that um, haunt us at, at, at times, uh, make us have the, uh, moments of regret. Uh, And uh, whether it's uh, the moments that uh, you uh, uh, brought about on your own uh, because of your bad decisions or maybe uh, that you have some uh, if only moments that is baggage that was passed on to you because somebody else made a poor decision or said some words that they shouldn't have said. Those are things that we carry. And sometimes we carry them a lot longer than we should. And that has an impact or can have an impact on us uh, for the rest of our lives. That's why we've been using the story of Joseph that we find in the very first book of the Bible. It's called Genesis. And the story of Joseph basically takes place from the, from the, uh, from the chapter 25 all the way to the end. And it starts with his father. Um, and and uh, Joseph was the 11th son of uh, Jacob Jacob's father was Isaac Isaac's father was Abraham okay so we're talking about the great grandson of that guy that many uh, know named Abraham it's the story really begins the baggage story begins with Jacob Jacob was the second of twins his brother Esau was the oldest, Jacob the younger. Esau was kind of uh, the Gaston. I, I said this last week. He's kind of the Gaston kind of character, burly and and hunter and gatherer and all that kind of stuff. And Jacob wasn't like that. He was kind of the skinny accountant guy, okay? And just kind of looked like that. And, and Jacob was a mommy's boy. And um, Esau was daddy's, uh, uh, was his father's son kind of a thing. And uh, all those stereotypes. Uh, if, if, by the way, if we have any accountants here, no no offense but i just you know that kind of a perspective um notwithstanding um <clears throat> the baggage began when jacob's mom picked him and jacob's dad isaac picked esau and they began to compare one child with another and it got old pretty quick before you know it uh jacob and his mother were scheming uh for jacob to get the birthright that really belonged to Esau, when Esau found out that the birthright had been stolen, so to speak, by Jacob's long story, you can go ahead and read it, but um, he was mad, he was angry, and basically threatened to kill his brother. And Jacob lived with that fear for decades. Well, that scheming kind of, you've heard the phrase, what goes around comes around. That scheming kind of came home to roost because Jacob, as a young man, leaves to go to a, 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 another country to, to find a bride, to uh, kind of have some family connections. And he meets with his uncle. And um, uh, uncle has a, a, a distant uncle. Uncle has a, a daughter that uh, he sees before he even gets to meet his uncle. He meets, meets this woman named Rachel. He's just dumbstruck, uh, just drooling all over the place. It's a disgusting sight. And he falls in love with Rachel, but his his, uh, uh, his relative says, you know what? Um, she's got an older sister, and she's, well, I tell you what, why don't you just, if you work seven years for this bride, yeah, yeah, seven years for the bride, and um, uh, on the wedding night, uh, the bride comes walking down with a really thick veil, and uh, uh, after the ceremony's over, and takes uh, his bride home the veil comes off and finds out it's not Rachel it's uh, Rachel's sister Leah well the ceremony's already taken place and and Jacob's been swindled so to speak but he really really wants Rachel and so he decides to work another seven years to get Rachel and um, right from there Jacob who couldn't stand being compared is now comparing one wife with another and uh, in, a, in a crazy mess that I explained a couple of weeks ago, out of Rachel and Leah and their servants, uh, Bilhah and Zilpah, the, the two names there, uh, 13 children came. And uh, Joseph was the firstborn son of Rachel. And because Rachel was Jacob's favorite, Joseph was now Jacob's favorite. Uh, a little while later, another uh uh, boy named Benjamin came and uh, in birth to Benjamin, Rachel died. So um, all the other brothers knew right from the beginning that Joseph and Benjamin were the favorites. And it gets really, really, really ugly. And the favoritism that played out uh, uh, upon Joseph from Jacob. Uh, the brothers got sick and tired of. They were taking care of the flocks one day and Joseph comes out to check on them because that's what his wise father made the favorite son do. Go check on the older brothers. That always goes over well. And <clears throat> um, he tells them about a dream, a couple of dreams actually. And basically the, the long and short of the dreams is the brothers are gonna end up serving and bowing down to him. Well, that's all that they needed. They wanted, literally wanted to kill him And instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery. Off he goes in a caravan, headed west. uh, And uh, Joseph ends up uh, being sold to an Egyptian lord named Potiphar. While he's in Potiphar's house, uh, uh, Potiphar's wife uh, recognizes that she's got a really good looking young man serving in the house. And he had the favor of Potiphar and ended up being in charge of the entire household. Uh, But... He wasn't allowed to touch Potiphar's wife. Well, Potiphar's wife wanted to change that to be subtle. So she kept hitting on him. He kept saying no. She kept hitting on him. He kept saying no. Well, after a while, a woman who gets rejected doesn't take too kindly to that. So uh, one time she uh, she decides that she's going to uh, just go for broke and uh, uh, gives him an offer that she thinks he can't refuse, but he does refuse it. So instead of taking that uh, uh, kindly, she uh, screams, yells. Uh, Joseph runs out of the house, and she says that um, she's, uh, he tried to rape her. All right? Um, some things just don't change. And I'm not talking about false accusations. I'm just talking either way. Guys... I've been doing this job for almost 30 years now, and I've seen women lie about their husbands. Uh, husbands lie to their... It just people are people are people. And we sometimes just don't grow any wiser, notwithstanding all of our technology. So Joseph ends up in prison. And um, uh, there are many writers who think that he spent anywhere from 13 to 18 years in prison for something that he never did talk about baggage while he's there. The same thing happened in prison that happened at Potiphar's house. Joseph was so good at doing things that he ended up being in charge of Potiphar's house. He's so good at taking care of things. He ends up being in charge of the prison while he's there. Two men from Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh is the title that is given to the king of Egypt. Two men from Pharaoh's court show up and um, uh, they have dreams right? Joseph's pretty familiar with dreams. They have dreams and they're wondering what it means. And Joseph gives good news to one guy and bad news to another guy. The good news to one guy says, don't worry, you're going to go back to your same position. The bad news to the other guy is in a couple of days, you're going to be executed. It came uh, and it came to pass exactly as Joseph had described. Now, the one guy who goes back to serve with Pharaoh, uh, Joseph says to him, hey, listen, don't forget me when you get back to Pharaoh's court which means he absolutely forgot him until joseph has uh the the pharaoh has a dream and pharaoh goes to all the wise guys so to speak in uh the the kingdom none of them can interpret the dream uh pharaoh's really really disturbed by it and then the guy from prison remembers joseph And he goes up to Pharaoh and says, hey, just want to let you know there's a guy who's in charge of your prison who is really, really smart, and he told me what was going to happen in my dream and to the other guy's dream, and it happened exactly as he said. So uh, Joseph's name gets screamed out by Pharaoh. Uh, Guys run down to go grab Joseph. They clean him up. They bring him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream. Joseph interprets it accurately. And before you know it, Joseph is made number two in the nation. The only person that has more power than Joseph is Pharaoh himself. And the dream that Pharaoh had was that the the entire land was going to be overwhelmed by a famine. And the famine was going to last seven years. And it was coming soon. So what Joseph did was wisely set aside a portion of the crops for years. So that when the famine came, Egypt would have more than enough. And not only did they have enough, but nations from around Egypt came to Egypt because they heard Egypt had food when nobody else did. So guess who ends up coming down to Egypt to get grain? Joseph's brothers. Joseph is not this snotty little teenager that they sold off into slavery anymore. He's an Egyptian uh, lord. And uh, they show up. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do when the people that brought all that pain and hardship and threw all that baggage on top of you? What are you going to do? Joseph doesn't do what you and I might think. He longs to be with his family. He longs to restore what was lost. In short, He's going to let the baggage go. There's wisdom. I recommend... The story is really too long for me to to really read, even, even just to read it. I recommend you take the second half of Genesis and you just read the story. It's great. It really is good. But in the meeting with his brothers, listen to what Joseph says. Genesis chapter 45. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt, and now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and, re- and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God what what in the world are 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 you kidding me shan are are you are after after now two and a half weeks, you want me to understand that sometimes God allows bad things to happen to us so that his plan can work out and I could actually get the better end of the deal? Yup. You mean somebody might make a bad decision and in the long run I could get a benefit from it? Not in a wicked way, not in hurting someone way, but... God can work everything together? Yes, he can. You see, when the bad stuff happens, we start to question whether God really cares or even worse, if he's just plain old mean. And we don't understand. And I'm not talking about when you get the paper cut or or you, you spend... Uh, you get cheated out on a on a bill or something I'm not talking about that I'm talking about the stuff when people get sick and people lose jobs and people go to sleep and don't wake up and people get hurt you see sometimes it's a little bit of a mind bender but when I say to you that God is sovereign over all, that means he's sovereign even when we choose to not acknowledge it. He's sovereign even when we choose to do whatever we want, even if he says don't do that. You see, if he's not sovereign then we actually have the final say on things. But because we don't have the final say on things, we're not as powerful as we think we are. We're not as smart as we think we are. We're not as good as we think we are. And it hasn't taken too long in our, each of us, in our individual lives, to realize and know that. Because we're not as good, as smart, as strong as we think we are, God has this power and ability to take care of it all. He's not bound by time. He knows what's happening, what happened yesterday, what's happening today, and what will happen tomorrow, and he knows it all at the same time. So it doesn't matter what we decide or how we decide or what we like or what we don't like. He's God. So he knew all at the same time when Joseph was going to be born. He knew all at the same time when Joseph was going to be sold into prison sold into slavery when he was going to end up in prison and when he was going to end up being number two in the nation of Egypt. It makes you wonder sometimes. I've heard it said that there are four basic questions, four great questions that people ask. Question number one is the question of origin. Where did I come from? You might want to align identity with that. Question number two is the question of destiny. Where am I going? Question number three is the question of morality. How should I live? Question number four is the question of purpose. Why am I here? Where did I come from? where am I going, how should I live, and why am I here? In the beginning of our lives and when we're young, we're 16, we're 22, even in our late 20s, we're brave and we're bold and we, we know those questions are there, but we'd like to have some input on those answers. But it doesn't take too long before bags start to be given to us, or we make them ourselves. And we get discouraged. And we get overwhelmed. And after a while, uh, anybody who asks those questions boldly of origin, and of purpose, and of destiny, and of morality, After a while, we tend to uh, ask those questions through the filter of the bags that we carry. And we just say, you know what? It doesn't matter anymore. I can't change. This is too hard. I'm overwhelmed. And when it's all said and done, it really doesn't matter anyway because nobody cares anymore. It seems that dreams are for people who don't have baggage. It seems that hope is for people who don't have pain. And when you and I feel that way, we resign and tend to accept a lie instead of acknowledge the truth. We exchange one for the other. And we believe things because it's, because we're sick and tired of losing our dreams. We're sick and tired of trying so hard and having something kicked out from underneath us. And we wonder, God, do you, do you even know what's going on in my life? Do you even understand? God, I prayed so much. And so often that I don't even know what to pray anymore. And I know, God, that you know the number of my tears. And I've even been told, God, that you can turn my tears into words and you understand my groaning. Well, God, groans are all I have left. We believe the lie that God doesn't care. And even worse, like I said before, that he's orchestrating all of this sadistic pain to punish me for something that happened 30 years ago. Now, you and I know it's not true, and we know full well that we're the ones that said those words or did those things to create this big bag over here or that big bag over there or all of them together. We know that we did those things, but sometimes it just makes it a whole lot easier to say, since God's the big guy, it's his fault. We think that way because we're hurting and we're in pain. And when people who hurt and are in pain, they're angry. Angry like Reuben. We talked about him two weeks ago who really just wanted his father to acknowledge him as the firstborn son for all the work that he had done and is doing. But instead, he's forever reminded of the baggage that he's the firstborn son of a woman his father never wanted. Angry like Jacob, who's sick and tired of having to figure out schemes to get things and would really just like to earn something fair and square. But instead, for all of his scheming, he ends up with women he never wanted, Children he never intended. And a brother who wants him dead. And what happens with our baggage as we see in this story, and and remember, people are people. Uh, The story, you could change the names and tell the same story in this exact century. Baggage begets baggage. baggage. Baggage actually adds on more baggage to you and me. And pain begets pain and anger begets anger. And what happens is when we get angry, we can't stand to actually see somebody lose their anger. And so we just say, you deserve this. You get this. Or even more, when we're angry at them, I'll get you. So if we're looking for the prize of who is the most dysfunctional biblical family in all of biblical history, it's right here in Genesis chapter uh, 25 through 50. And we're not surprised when Joseph comes walking up to his brothers who are in the field and they scheme what they scheme and they say, we'll see what will come of his dreams. Baggage begets baggage, pain begets pain and anger just brings more anger. This happens generation after generation, family after family, life after life. And I want you to know it does not have to be like that. Just because you've made a poor decision yesterday or two decades ago, you are not sentenced for the rest of your life, even for eternity because of this. This is exactly why God sent Jesus, speaking of Christmas. That's why he sent him to this, so we don't have to be sentenced to this, so things can change, and not only can things change by our own ability, but even because they can't change because of our own inability, God makes up for it, and he says, where you're weak, I will give you strength, and where you are, you don't understand, I will give you understanding, and I will help you, and I will bring people alongside you, and the thing is, is what you're looking around in this very room today are not a bunch of people who have worked themselves out of their own issues it's a whole bunch of people who know they have issues and because they couldn't work themselves out they said God help me and now there's a testimony to each and every one of us that is Christmas that is light for the world hope for men peace in our. that's what this is all about Okay, Shan, that's great. And I want to clap for all that and stuff. But I still don't understand. Why didn't God just bypass all of it? Why didn't he just keep Rachel alive? Why didn't he just give Rachel to Jacob the first time around? Why didn't he just put Joseph in charge of Egypt? And forego the prison and Potiphar and everything else? Why didn't he do that? And now that I think about it, if God's really God, why doesn't he just make it so people don't have to hurt anymore? Why doesn't he make it so mommies and daddies stay together? And children don't get sick. And people don't leave bombs at marathons. And little boys can ride their bikes home from school safe every day? Why? Short answer is I don't know. I know that you might think that that's my job and I'm supposed to know everything about God and I have all answers tucked away in some file on my phone but I don't know. I don't understand. There are things that are so far beyond me and there always will be. But I do know this. God is really fair. He is more than fair. He's more than gracious and more than good. And for all the foolishness that I am accountable for in my own life, He has blessed me far above what I deserve. Even in the midst of sometimes some really dark days, God says, Here, let me help. What I do know is what Isaiah said. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9 says, for as, high, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What I do believe is that God, because he is God, has the power and the ability to orchestrate all things together so that, first and foremost, his word is kept. His promises are made pure and When that happens, I even get a a really good deal out of it. I get blessed out of all of it. That means he can work everything together. Time, people's decisions, good and bad, money, jobs, accidents, weather, coffee, barbecue, puppies that poop on your carpet, and lights that don't work at Christmas time. He can put all that together. And use it for him. I don't know how he does it. And lots of times I don't understand why, but after it's all done, I take a look back and I just go, wow. And the creator of the universe allowed me to be a part of it. I don't understand how he does it, but what I really want you to know today is God does not waste our pain, he does not laugh. He does not gloat. He's not standing in line to give us more because of a decision we made yesterday or somebody else's decision they made a a generation ago. God knows about each and every one of our if-only moments. And you know what God's waiting for you and I to do? My if-only moment is answered by God's if-only statement. If only you would come and follow me. So he orchestrates it in ways that are beyond our ability to comprehend. And then just about when things get crazy, more crazy than you and I could possibly understand, boom, the light goes on. And that paragraph explaining everything shows up in our heads. And that's what happened when Joseph's brothers showed up. Did you hear what Joseph said to his brothers? Two verses, verse 5 and verse 7, what I read to you. It was not you who sent me, but God. And verse... Uh, uh, that was verse. Seven. I got both from verse five. I'm sorry. Verse seven says uh, in the bottom, "It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you." Now you remember what I said? There were four basic questions: origin, and destiny, and purpose, and morality. In in just one of those verses, God gives an answer to every single one of them. In just one, and He can do that because He's God. In verse 5, the answer to uh, the question of origin is right there. God. He started it all. He's always been there. He always will be there. And sometimes when I don't think uh, he knows really what he's supposed to be doing or what he should be doing, he actually knows exactly what he's doing, and I don't. The answer to the question of origin is God. The answer to the question of destiny was He sent me ahead of you. Have you ever been in a circumstance maybe at times when it may not be the best kind of circumstances, but suddenly the right person at the right time with the right information and the right tools shows up to do exactly what needs to be done exactly at that moment. Just a side note, let me give you just a, one of a number of examples. At, when I was at the church in Virginia, uh, almost well, well over 20 years ago now, we had a horrible accident. A father of six was driving home. He'd been working really, really long. He worked uh, uh, for, for one time for the White House Communications Office. And um, he was driving home on 95 and he fell asleep, got in a car accident, was killed. Father of six. Um, he... Uh, and guys, this ought to be a kind of a sub, uh, a just in case, kind of a public service announcement. He didn't have, he was a younger man. He didn't have a lot of papers in order. And um, in order to take care of a couple of different things, because he was a veteran, he needed to uh, do some things that, uh, he needed to have some paperwork. His wife needed some paperwork in order to get the benefits that uh, were really going to make a difference for his family in the long run. Nobody could find the paperwork. One of the guys from church Um, the the church in Fredericksburg was right outside the gates of Quantico. And so I had a lot of Marines. I had a lot of military guys that worked at the Pentagon. I had a lot of, uh, uh, just had a lot of bureaucratic folks that worked in offices and in all different kinds of places inside the Beltway. And a friend of mine that I'd been hunting with, I really never really knew what he did. Uh, turns out he's a, he was a Marine Corps officer in charge uh, learned some explosive stuff, worked in the intelligence community in a whole bunch of places that you and I probably shouldn't even know about for a bunch of different things. But Steve, I didn't know that about him. Steve walks in and he's just there to say hi to uh, a, a widow and comfort his, uh, uh, a woman uh, because his friend died in a car accident two days earlier. And he said, is there anything I can do? And I said, man, I wish you could. We're trying to find two pieces of paper, and we can't find anything anywhere. He goes, what are you looking for? And I said, I I, I, I gave him the two two terms, and he goes, just a minute. Pulls out his phone. Hey, um, yeah, are you in the office? Yeah, I need two pieces of paper for such and such a name. Yeah, can you fax them? You got a fax number, Shan? gave him a fax number. I'm standing there. My my my, draw, my jaw, is just, boom, all right, like Bugs Bunny kind of stuff. H- how? He called the one person that he knew because she he used to work with this woman in an office in D.C. Now she's at the office of Federal Bureau of Records in St. Louis. He calls her. She goes, just a minute. Boom. Facts done in 15 minutes. It was there. Now, yeah. God's quicker than we are. I mean, who to have thunk? Seriously. And it wasn't because he was in charge of this. He just did it. Because he knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. Now, you can say to me, yeah, that's just because he knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And I can say to you, that's because God knew somebody. Because God knows what we need when. Every single day. The question of origin was God. The question of destiny, he sent me ahead of you. The question of morality and purpose to save lives. All answered in one verse. One verse. This is why, talking about what we talked about last week, you and I can have perspective and peace and patience. Because when it's all said and done, God can use the junk that we carry around for his glory and our blessing. If only we would just wait for God to do his work and then sing his song while our tears flow down our cheeks. God, thanks so much for loving us. Thanks so much for blessing us. Thanks so much for encouraging us. Because sometimes, God, we don't get it. We don't understand why things happen the way that they do. We don't understand what happens in my life and in my friend's life and in my family's life and in my neighbor's life and people I work with and and the towns I live in and the country I live in. God, there are things that just don't make sense. And there are times when I wish you would just reach in and fix it all so we don't have to worry anymore. But then I remember how you have fixed things and how you're patient and how you honor faith and how you lift up the righteous and you restore the brokenhearted. Lord, over and over again, you bless and you turn, you bring beauty out of the ashes and joy out of despair. So, God, as we get ready for Christmas, as we live in places that just have a lot of angry, hurting people, Father, help us to be Jesus to people. Help us to bring hope and light and peace and joy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.